let's stand all over the house this evening. Let's jump in to worship tonight. For those joining online, we welcome you to church this evening. We're going to sing an old hymn of the church. We shall see the king when he comes. Let's worship together.
the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we worship you and we glorify you. We welcome your presence and your spirit in this place tonight. Father, every note that is played, song that is sung, prayer that is offered, sermon that is given, let it be for the advancement and the glory and honor of your kingdom. And Father, tonight, Lord, we commit this service in the loving arms of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the people of God together said amen. 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 Will you just take a few minutes to greet those around you this time in the Lord, and then we'll come back to worship. God bless you. Amen. Let's stand back together tonight, if you don't mind, and let's worship together. We're going to sing some old praise choruses and songs together tonight that you will know. So let's just worship the Lord together this time. Forever. 
thankful for that today. Let's sing this old praise chorus. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. tonight is to be more like you, to be just like Jesus. That's all we're asking is for us to be just like Jesus. Can we make that our prayer today? We just lift your hands all over the house and will you just tell him just for a moment, Lord, help me to be more like you. Help me to be, Lord, to follow you and to see you high and lifted up. Let that be your anthem. Before we sing this next song, it's going to simply say we want to be more like Jesus and just let him know how much you love him and adore him today. Will you just take that moment today? We give you glory, Lord. We give you glory. Let's sing it together today. We'll to be like Jesus. We'll to be like Jesus.
love you, Lord. Oh, he is here. Good 
Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, we know that there is no one like you. Father, if we listen closely, we can hear you calling out our name. Father, I pray that as we get ready here in just a moment to break the bread of life, God, that you would speak to our hearts. You would let us hear only what you would have to say today. Father, thank you for the spirit of God we felt in the house this morning. Father, today we ask that that same sweet spirit that we had in service with us this morning would make residency with us tonight as well. For that, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name. Together, the people of God said amen. 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 If you can, you may be seated briefly in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Psalms, chapter number 95, the book of Psalms, chapter number 95. We're going to pick up reading from there in just a few moments. While you're turning there, uh, we are want to tell you thank you so much for your patience today as we navigated through business meetings and other things today. Uh, but also I want to say that uh, we counted, we believe, about 15 or or so people that were out of church today just for various reasons. We know Sister Glenda, who is not with us tonight still, she's still under the weather. 
uh, battling her migraines and, and some things that are she's not feeling too well. And so we know she was unable to be with us today. Uh, and Sister Ashley Harley and their family was under the weather and uh, others uh, were not able to be here. But there still were 73 people in the house of the Lord. We had 14 kids out in the back this morning in Children's Church. I think all the, ner- all the children's workers were ready to retire after today. Uh, I think there was like 55 in the sanctuary, about 14 out there. Uh, but that's three weeks in a row we have been over 70 in the house of the Lord. And so God's moving. We'll take it. And we thank God for that. And it's exciting. And uh, we, we believe, uh, I think it's uh, Michael W. Smith uh, wrote a song that said, Help is on the way. I, I believe that the Lord's going to send us more people. And they're going to be workers. And they're going to be people that want to grow. And they're going to want to go to yonder with us. And they're... They're going to see us as a part of the family of God, go to new places, and we're going to grow together. And whether we have to remodel here, build out there, buy property, God's going to take us somewhere, and we're going to go somewhere with Him. And uh, and if the Lord is moving, the Bible says that unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor, they labor in vain. So we're going to let Him keep building it, and we're going to just keep working it while He builds it. And so um, I want to make sure that I tell all of you today, thank you for all of that today. And... uh, what a just awesome, awesome time in the Lord we had today. And, and it was exciting. When Ms. Carol gave me my report today, I thought, well, praise God for 70 people who heard about Jesus today. So that's wonderful. Psalms 95 uh, in verse number 1. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand uh, for the reading of God's Word tonight if you are physically able to do so. Uh, we're going to read just a couple verses of Scripture there, uh, there in, in Psalms 95. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, and let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is good, or great, and great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of earth. The heights of the hills are in his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come and let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I want you to look close to the rest of this. For he is God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He goes on to read. But I want to read that last verse, verse 7a again. For he is God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I started last week on an eye, on a thought or an idea of how shall we live? In the last days, how should we live? How, how should we conduct business? And what is our goal? If God's coming back, what do we do from the resurrection to the return of Christ? Where do we go? We started this journey together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for once again the esteemed, humbling opportunity to preach the unadulterated word of God to the people of God today. Let it not be my words that are heard or spoken, your words that is heard. Take a coal from the altar of heaven and anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare what thus saith Almighty God. I pray that you would let us not only be hearers of the word, but doers there likewise. Let every man, woman, boy, and girl, under the sound of my voice or watching online, be able to hear this word today. In Christ's name we pray. People of God together said, Amen. Amen. 
How shall we live? I began to unpack, if you will, last week in our hearing. Uh, we read out of Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, about how the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And we talked about that he posed the question that since you know all of these things, what manner of persons ought you be in conduct and in godliness looking for the coming day of the Lord? Meaning, how should you live? If you know this is coming... Then what? We began to unpack that and to, if you will, discuss that. And I began to tell you that the first thing I thought of was that we should be people that have a life of prayer. I told you how important prayer was and I told you how essential prayer is and how that when we pray, not only does God hear us when we pray, but he also, that is our communication, that is our mode of conversation with God that is our lifeline our link to God and prayer is a is still uh, still real and it still changes things and it it still is active in fact uh, yesterday uh, we had the uh, pillars ministry breakfast and uh, had, a, had a great turnout I think if I'm not mistaken 23 people come out to it that were of the pillars there was a couple of us that were younger than pillars um, we were just you know brick masons and mortar not pillars and uh, but the pillars group, there was about 23 of you or so that were able to come, and and uh, and Brother Randy opened us up in prayer, and then uh, my mom closed us out in prayer, and, and there were some needs that were brought uh, before the body. Sister Dale has a has a need of a friend who is, has been given a, a sentence of a couple days to live, and and, and with some heart issue, uh, some lung and hearts and other thing issues, and and has been put sent home on hospice care, and. And uh, for, for within the next week or so, they, they think that that untimely passing may take place. And, and, and we, we had others that shared their heartfelt requests before the body. And it was wonderful. I, I you know, had asked different people to pray yesterday. But it was wonderful as they began to pray towards the end of the, of the pillars meeting. Uh, I didn't really pray out loud. Sometimes I will. Sometimes I won't. won't. And a lot of reasons I don't pray out loud sometimes is because I'm listening. It, it, to me, sometimes I get more encouraged by just listening and hearing the concert, if you will, of God's people praying together. Now, when Brother Marion or Brother Randy comes up here and they want us to pray, they want us to pray in concert. They don't want to be the only ones praying. They want you to pray with them. And we love that. And that's, that is the goal. But, but they, they began, those pillars began to pray. And, and you could just kind of feel something in the room. It just was, you know, I don't know if God's going to supernaturally heal the request or he's going to heal them on the other side of glory. I don't know how he will respond, but you could sense there was something in the room. There was something happening in that moment. It was just there was a, a, another person, if you will, in the room. Somebody else walked into the room. Yes, we had bacon and eggs, and yes, we had sausage and hash brown casserole and biscuits and grits with, with, with jelly and with butter and with, with cheese. We had a, a spread with apple juice and orange juice. Yes, it was wonderful. It was it was good eating, but it wasn't, while the cooking was good, the cooks were good, the, the fellowship was great, when, when that other person walked into the room, it changed the moment of that day. It just, it, we had a wonderful time eating breakfast, but it, it was so different when that prayer began to be offered up in the body of Christ, the pillars began to pray together and feeling that presence of, as we sang about tonight, that, that spirit of the Lord was in that place and, and we began to pray and, and, and it still is real. I have still seen miracles. In fact, Sister Barnes had a request last week where she had asked us to pray for, come up front and ask for a prayer cloth last Sunday morning and 
we anointed it and we prayed and we sent, sent it with her and she gave it to the person that was having some situations and some needing some answers and a decision and she passed it on and said my pastor in our church has been praying for you here's this prayer cloth that was on Monday, uh, that was on Sunday by Wednesday afternoon uh, her the person that had the request that she had given that cloth to called her on the phone and and said, I need to talk to you if you got a minute. And they said, sure. And so, you know, Sister Barnes, she's, she loves talking, so she's all about having somebody to talk to. So they, she said, I've got all night. And the, she did. And so they talked for quite some time. And the person said, well, I was, I was at my place of business, and I didn't really know what to do. I was at a catch-22. They were going up on the rent. And I didn't know whether or not I, I've been doing this business for a long time, over 25 years. I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing it or if I needed to shut down. I really didn't know. And she said, I had that prayer cloth. I've been sleeping with it underneath my pillow, and I've been putting it in my purse on the way to work and all these things. She said, well, today this lady walked in, and she had, like, black-type clothes on but, like, a white top she said I really don't remember all that she was wearing but she was very nicely dressed and she was kind of perusing around the room and I had never seen this lady before in my shop so she said I, I walked over there and said can I can I help you and the lady said well I'm not sure and 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 this particular individual said okay well was there something specific you're looking for and she said yeah you and she said okay do I know you and she said no you don't I don't think so but but I just wanted to know do you believe in prayer and this lady started crying, and she said, in fact, I do. And she said, in fact, I've got a church praying for me about a situation right now. And she said, well, can I go ahead and pray with you right now, too? And grabbed her hands and began to pray with her in the, in the store. And as they began to pray, she said she felt the Spirit of the Lord come down in the shop. And when it was all said and done, she said, well, hey, let me give you something. I, just Because it encouraged me. Let me grab something right here on the shelf and give it to you just as a token. She said, I turned around, Sister Barnes, and I grabbed the stuff on the shelf. And when I turned around, the person wasn't standing there no more. She said, I busted through the front door. I looked, I looked to the left. I looked to the right. She said, where my shop is is on a strip I couldn't find the person she said I went and stood 15 minutes in the parking lot there's only one parking lot in the whole area I stood there no cars moved nobody was getting in a car nobody was extra car she said you couldn't have had a, a sprinter running in the Boston Marathon got to a car as fast as I got there I don't know where this lady went she said but I do know this when I got done when I got done looking for where she was at, I went back in the shop, and as soon as I walked through the door, it was like I knew what the answer was, and I have a peace now, and the night was the best night's sleep I've had in months deciding what to do. She said, what do you think it was? Well, Sister Barnes said, I think you entertained an angel, unaware. And she said, well, what, what do you think that means? She said, I'm, Sister Barnes said, well, I think that means prayer still works. I think God hears us when we pray. And I've heard other stories about people that have nailed things to this cross uh, on Easter Sunday, and asked God to do things. Some of them, the devil is fighting them harder. In fact, I talked to somebody today. The thing they nailed to that cross, the devil is attacking them really hard on that. But if you remember, I said when you nail it to the cross, just know even though Jesus said it is finished doesn't mean the devil's finished. He's still got a work to do. And, and so they're struggling. But I told that person today when I talked to them on the phone, look I'm telling you prayer still works. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit on God. I'm telling you. And I kind of told this story about Sister Barnes. I said Said, look I don't know when your angel is coming I don't know when your answer is coming but I'm telling you prayer still works it still changes things 
And so in order for us to live in these last days with the turmoil that's going on in the world and in the government, and might I say and add even within the church there's turmoil. The only way the church of the living God, the remnant of the living God, of God's church, the, the if you will, the leftover, the, the, the holy huddles of, of God's church that's going to remain is going to be people that know how to pray. Because it doesn't matter how intellectual you are. It doesn't even really matter how theological you are in terms of knowledge. What matters? matters is can you get a hold to God when it really matters you may have a PhD in theology or biblical languages but if you can't pray to God and get him to answer your book smarts and your book degree is not going to get you anywhere I'm telling you there's people that I know that don't have any more than a high school graduation diploma they never went to college they never sat at the feet of Gamal they never went to a seminary they never got a doctorate degree or a PhD but they had a degree in prayer they may not have had a piece of paper hanging on the wall but when they got on their knees everything on the wall all started shaking and everything in hell started moving and they may not have had a piece of paper that said where they graduated from but when their knees hit the dirt the devil knew who they were and the devil knew where they were from because their prayers were able to move the throne room of heaven that's how you survive we also talked about though there is a time of holiness and that holiness is still a part of God's church we talked about it's not just necessarily about dressing, though that, that can be a part of holiness living and, 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 and things of that nature, but there's more to it. In fact, the Apostle Paul told us in Philippians 4 and 8 that we're supposed to think, think on the things that are lovely and pure and virtuous and, and of noble things. We are supposed to have the mindset of Christ Jesus. He, he told, uh, Jesus said in Matthew in his, in his Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they're the ones that see God. You know, he... 1 Timothy in 2 and 8, it says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, to be holy. We have to be holy because God is holy. Our testimonies are pure. And there is something to still be said about a glorious church, a pure church, a righteous church, and holy living. But I want to tell you, not only do you have to live with a life of prayer and a life of consecration or holiness set apart, but you also got to live a life of worship. We kind of talked about it briefly this morning in our journey of generations, talking about Abraham and being obedient all the way to literally the very last hour of the moment, if you will, with the knife drawn to slay his promise, if you will, laying his promise on the altar to die. And yet God provided a miracle over yonder in the thicket of the bush with a ram. But I, we read in the midst this morning about how Abraham said, but the lad and I are going over there to worship. They weren't going to play games. They weren't going over there to, you know, just hang out and fellowship. That's great to do that. I love fellowshipping. But sometimes, you know, while there is no ship like fellowship, sometimes fellowship is great. But sometimes we come together to worship the Lord, not to play around with each other in a fellowship. There is a time and a place to laugh. There is a time and a place to cut up. There is a time and a place to celebrate at weddings and birthday parties and family fests and Fourth of July celebrations. But then there's a time for us to come together and worship the Lord. We have plenty of stuff that we do on this property. We have family fest in October where we cook out, have inflatables, have cotton candy, have candy apples, have carnival-themed games and play and hang out. We have Easter egg extravaganzas where we come together and cook out and fellowship. We have snack nights 
on the last Sunday of each month where church is over. We go to the back Sunday night after church, spell snack. We go eat together and we hang out together. We have times where we go on trips together. There are times like senior adult retreat where we'll go on trips together. There are times where we'll go to weddings together and we'll laugh and celebrate. We'll go to birthday parties together. We'll, we'll go boating together or go to the lake together or we'll go do things together. But then there are also times, whether it's on a Sunday or whether it's on a Monday night prayer meeting or on a Wednesday night, Brother James, there are sometimes we don't come to, to play, but we come to worship. We come not to, not to necessarily, yeah, we can laugh as soon as church is over. Yes, tonight when church is over, you can follow Brother Randy to Huddle House, and he'll be glad to eat dinner with you, and you can fellowship all you want to. But before we get to Huddle House, God brought us here so we could worship together. The old could worship with the young. The, uh, the elderly could worship with the, with the younger generation. We could come together and worship the Lord. There's something to be said when we worship the Lord together. The Bible tells us the Father is seeking worshipers. John 4 and 23, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, But the hour is coming, and now it is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. John chapter 4, and the beginning of John chapter 4, is an interesting passage of Scripture. Jesus is coming through, and he tells his disciples that he feels impressed that he has to go through the region of Samaria. And you didn't just go to the region of Samaria. In fact, Samaritans were considered what they called half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. They were looked as down uh, uh, with a scowl. They were looked as, as, as a downward uh, people. They were looked as people that were beneath the Jewish race. They weren't full-blooded. They were, they were shunned. They were scorned. They, they, were, they were very, uh, if you will, not a, you, a, Jewish, a true Jewish person. If they were making a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho or wherever they were working, if it anywhere brought them close to Samaria, instead of going straight through Samaria as a direct line, they would actually detour all the way around it, even if it took longer time to get there just because they were not going to walk through this region or the town of Samaria. That's how much disdain. You talk about racial injustices. You talk about racial division. The Bible even combats that. You know, we're living in a day and an hour right now where the whites and the blacks and the Chinese and the Japanese and the Philippines, we all got racial division and tension and everything's about trying to divide you based on your skin color or your social economic status. The Bible already covered that. Jesus made that very clear that you can try to segregate all you want to, but Jesus is an all-inclusive God. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves them all. And so Jesus said to His disciples, I must go. Go to Samaria. And they're thinking, what do you mean you must go? Jesus, do you realize we don't go to Samaria? He said, I must go to Samaria. They get to the threshold of Samaria. Jesus sends them in says, y'all y'all go buy something to eat? You know, I'm going to sit here and rest for a while. Y'all just go do your thing. They go to buy the lunch or whatever they were going to go get for dinner that night. Jesus sits down at the well. And there comes this lady at the noonday, in the middle of the day, to draw water. Some, Brother James, believed that maybe she was even a woman that couldn't come with the other ladies in the town because the ladies of the day would normally go early in the morning to get the water for the day so they could stay with the children and be there that day. They didn't really go in the heat of the day to do that. She came all alone. Nobody else came with her. And in that society, the women kind of went together for protection and for safety in numbers. So some thinks maybe she was even an outcast within the outcast system. And she comes to draw water, and there Jesus sits at the well. And she kind of notices him, but she knows it's inappropriate for a woman to address a man because it was a very mycogenic society. Men didn't, if you were addressed by a man, so be it, but you didn't address a man directly if you were a female. And so she didn't say anything, but Jesus notices her and says, Would you give me something to drink? 
and she says, uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I can, and, and, uh, and he says, I'm thirsty, and she says, okay, and he said, but if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him in return to give you a drink from the rivers or the wells of living water. She said, sir, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but our father Jacob drug this well. It's a very deep well. It takes a lot of, you don't even have a, a pitcher. You don't have a pot. Even if I draw the bucket up, what are you going to put it in? You've got nothing. And Jesus says, well, I don't necessarily need nothing. And she says, where's this water you're going to get? He says, well, the water I give, well, you will never thirst again. In fact, if you just drink a little bit of it, you'll never thirst again. Well, she thinks, well, that sounds like a great idea. I'll never have to come to the well here again. I'll never have to draw the water again. She's thinking in the natural. She's thinking Jesus was talking in the supernatural. She's talking in the natural. She says, oh, Jesus, give me her old teacher. Give me this water that I'll never have to come thirst here again. And Jesus says, well, you know, there's going to come a, you know, there, 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 there's a, some stipulations here. And she says, okay. She, he says, how about you go back into town and you bring your spouse with you. Ask him to come with you to the well and I'll share the good news with you both because I want both of you to know who, who, who God is. And she says, well, there's a problem here, Jesus. Uh, I don't have a spouse. And he says, you know, that is true. I, you know, I, that's something, that's the first right thing I've heard you say so far. You don't have one spouse. You don't have two spouses. You don't have three spouses. You don't have, in fact, you got five living husbands. I don't know what it is about you or what it's about them, but y'all all can't get along. Got five living husbands. And the man you're currently seeing, number six, who hadn't decided if he's going to put a ring on it yet, you're not even right with him yet in marriage. There's six of them total out there you got to deal with. She had a pretty messed up life going right there at the time. But Jesus didn't care about what she used to be. He was concerned about what she could be. And sometimes we in the church are always concerned about what people look like today, not realizing God's not looking at what they are today. He's looking at what they are tomorrow or what they're going to be down the road. And we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This person might have broke up a home, and this person might have been a liar, and this person might have been an adulterer, and this person might have been a thief, and this person might have been a deceiver. But when they fall under the grace of the Calvary's cross and that crimson blood flows, the adulterer becomes redeemed. The liar becomes redeemed. The sinner becomes saved. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. All of us had to go to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. She begins, he says, she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. You are the man. You are God. Let me ask you this question, sir. Our ancestors tells us we've got to go to the mountain to worship. That's the only place to worship. All of the people in Jerusalem says, go to the mountain, go to the mountain, go to the mountain. That's the only place to worship. But we Samaritans, we worship you right here. We don't, we're not allowed to go to the mountain. We're not welcome, so we worship the God Jehovah here. Where, where do we go? And Jesus says, it's not about the mountain. And I just read to you the scripture. He says, there's going to come a time where the Father's going to be seeking worshipers. Worship in spirit. It's not about going to the mountain. It's not about where you worship, but how you worship. It's your heart. It doesn't matter if you worship at 1211 Highway 52 every day or you only come and we corporately worship on Sundays and Wednesdays. You can, you can worship God in Coral Lakers. You can worship God in Conifer Hall. You can worship God in Cane Bay Plantation. You can worship God on South Live Oak Drive. You can worship God in St. Stephen. You can worship God at Bono Beach. You can worship God in Macedonia. You can worship God in the car in Goose Creek. You can worship God in North Charleston in the mall. You can worship God at the Battery. You can worship God on the Tail Race Canal. You can worship God when you're walking through the garden. You can worship God when you're on vacation. It's not about a physical location. It's about taking this body, which is the temple of the Holy 
Holy Ghost. And everywhere my feet trod, whether it's in Berkeley County, Dorchester County, Charleston County, Carleton County, Orangeburg County, or another county in another state, if God be for me, who can be against me? Everywhere I go, I can worship the Lord. When I was in California, I may not have been here, but I'm going to tell you while I was there and I was looking at the Pacific coastline and I was driving through, Brother Man, there's many times in my mind I thought, God, you are real and God, you are great. I may not have been here Sunday morning, but the God that was with y'all on March the 5th on Sunday morning was riding with me on Highway 1 in the Pacific coastline down uh, the Pacific Highway in California. And the God that's with us right now is somewhere in China helping someone come to know Jesus at some church service. And he's in Indonesia helping somebody. And he's in Romania saving somebody. And he's in England. And he's in Bulgaria. And he's in Africa and Asia and the other most parts of the world. The God that I serve is not bound by time. He's not bound by place. He's not bound by location. But the God that I serve sits above time, above space, above location. So whether you're here, whether you're watching online, or whether it's tomorrow, you can worship God all by yourself, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. As long as you have a heart of worship, you can worship Him anywhere. Now, there are times that we are, the Bible tells us, don't forsake the assemblings of yourselves. There are times for us to come together. Absolutely. But worship is not always about a physical moment encounter. It's about a lifestyle of how we live. When I wake up in the morning, do I give God praise? When I close my eyes for my rest from the day's task at hand that I have done for that day, do I still give God praise? In the middle of the day when life is great and I get wonderful news, do I give God praise right then when it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and the day seems to be arduous and it's just never going to end and I'm just getting bad news after bad news after bad news that particular day, do I still worship God? It's not about a physical location as much as it is about a lifestyle I commit to daily with God. You know, I've often thought, one of the greatest examples is David. David was probably by far the most iconic figure, if you will, in biblical history that has ever been considered a, if you will, man of worship or a heartbeat of worship. In fact, God described him as the man after God's own heart. That was his description. But what most people don't like to talk about is David was an adulterer. David was a cold-blooded killer. He was a murderer. David was not perfect. He had his flaws. He had his hang-ups. David had his own bags. His baggage. David had wicked kids. David had unsaved children. There are some in our church that on their cross, I don't know who they were, but over this week I took all of them down, I took them home, and I have them in my possession. I've been praying for them. And I can't tell you there's, there's some that had a repetitive theme. Now, nobody knew what anybody else wrote because, well, it was supposed to be secret. You folded it, you came to the cross. There were some, there were quite a few that regarded marriages and other things. But there were some that put on here, Lost children, lost grandchildren, save my boys, save my daughters, save my grandchildren, let them know Jesus, save them, 
Let me know that they know who you are. You know, David, the man that's after all God's own heart, I mean, his kids have been raised around church. I mean, David played the harp. He wrote psalms, parts of psalms. I mean, he wrote songs, worship songs. Probably serenaded his kids at bedtime lullabies from the songs of Zion. Taught them David had become king. He had brought the Ark of the Covenant back from Philistine uh, captivity back to the house of the Lord. His children watched him dance in the street, worship the Lord. They watched their mom or if it was their bonus mom, stepmom, whoever, get mad. And David said, if you think this is undignified, I'll become even more undignified than this before God because I'm going to worship him. I mean, they saw it all. And yet David had unbelieving kids. So for every person that says, well, pastor, you just don't understand. My kids are... They're just, they're just something else. They're not where they need to be. David got that. He had kids. In fact, his own kids tried to take him out. Unless your kids have tried to kill you, you're doing better than David. Now, if you've had kids that try to do that, then you and David are in the same boat. But as long as your kids haven't tried to kill you yet, you've got better kids than David has. Because Absalom tried to kill him. Chuck him down. David didn't want anything to happen to Absalom, but Absalom sure wanted something to happen to David. Absalom embarrassed his father. Went in with his concubines in front of the entire city. He, he made a spectacle of David's house. David was not perfect. But every time David hit rock bottom, every time David didn't know what to do, he would always go back to his harp. It wasn't because he just wanted to play a little Jesus loves me this I know lullaby. When he began to play, it's like he and God could start talking again. Everyone has a different mode how they connect with God. Some people can sit in a car and listen to Dr. David Jeremiah teach, or we lost a general of the faith, Dr. Charles Stanley, this past week. He, he passed at 90 years old from First Baptist of Atlanta. Some of you may have listened to him on Sunday morning on the way to church or listened to him at 7 o'clock at night on the radio station. I mean, you may have listened to his teachings over time, a, a general of the faith. And, 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 and there, are, there are times that, you know, that might be people's mode of worship. They hear podcasts. Or they listen to a... Dr. Loran Livingston preached from Central. They listen to some other pastor preach. They, they hear their, they, that might be modes of worship. For others, listening to a podcast, listening to a sermon on, you know, their phone or listening to a live stream of another person's sermon or listening to David Jeremiah or Charles Stanley might put those pe some people to sleep. I've met some people, they start reading that, listening to that, and they, if they're not sitting up, drinking a cup of coffee, and eating something, if they just kind of relax and meditate, they'll meditate right on to sleep. They'll just meditate right into fairy tale land. They'll just go out. Everybody worships different. In fact, for some people, I know some, for my mother's mode, she will listen to songs, and she'll listen to people preach and stuff like that. But when I was younger, and even when I got older in college, my mother used to like to go on these walks. We call them her prayer walks. She'd go walking. Sometimes she took her phone. Sometimes she'd have music, Pandora, whatever, or whatever. And she'd get up sometimes early in the morning. She'd go to a special spot in the house when they lived in Orangeburg. She had a place upstairs that it was her corner. And literally, it was her corner. It was just that section. You didn't touch it. You didn't bother it. She had the ugliest chair that ever had been ever created, the, the pattern of that chair. I don't even think that a dog would have sat on that chair. It was so ugly. But, but it was her chair. That was her spot with a reading lamp and papers all around it. It just You just didn't move it. That was the spot. And when she was working part-time back then, she would go either in the mornings or in the afternoons on prayer walks. That was her thing. And that's great. That's how she connected with God, or nature. 
My dad would always, when he would pastor, when he was pastoring, my dad, his connection was he'd go on trips. He'd go to the mountains, break away from the church. He would ask the church to give him requests, the things that they had need of. He'd go to the mountains. He'd lock himself away. He didn't go eat, and he didn't go shopping, but he'd go to the mountains, and he'd sit over and just look over Sister Brenda at mountains or listen to the water, and he'd just sit there for three or four days. He'd pray and read the Bible. He'd get sermon ideas, but he just sat in nature. That's what he liked. For others, it's different. For Sister Carol, Sister Carol could care less about going on a prayer walk. That's great. You want to go walk on a prayer walk? She'll pray for you on your walk, but she ain't going to lead you. She's just not. But you put a Steinway and Sons, or you put a Bolzendorf, or you put a Boston, or you put a Yamaha, or you put anything that has 88 keys, half of them black, half of them white, and you let all the strings work on them and let her sit behind it. Her and God can talk in ways you can't talk to him because she's like David. She starts to play. I've seen many times in a Sunday morning service or a Sunday evening service that many times everybody's up here praying, they're worshiping whatever else, and everybody thinks, oh, listen to the wonderful elevator music Sister Carol's playing behind us. And that's great. You don't probably pay attention because half the time you're just praying or whatever and you just hear this soft melodic music playing behind it. What sometimes you don't see, I know Miss Brenda does because Miss Brenda stands over here a lot of times, what you don't see is about halfway through the altar call or halfway through the song, Miss Carol will be sitting there but her eyes are closed. You don't even know where her hands are going. Tears are streaming down her face and she's just playing. She doesn't even know what she's playing. She's just playing because her and God are talking while y'all ain't paying attention to her it's different doesn't make it bad doesn't make it good doesn't make the prayer walks better than the piano players but David when he didn't know what to do he just sat down and he played he worshiped he'd worship by saying the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he'd worship by saying many are they that increase that trouble me and many are they that rise up against me and many of them that say of my soul there's no help for him in God but thou O Lord art a shield for me the glory and the lifter of my head I cried unto the Lord and he heard me and out of his holy hills the Lord sustained me I laid myself down to sleep but the Lord sustained yes he still sustained me and he would bless the Lord forget not all his benefits I praise him in the morning praise him in the afternoon praise him in the let everything that hath breath praise the Lord oh magnify the Lord with me let us exalt his name all David knew how to do was to worship God he wasn't perfect but he worshiped and then the day and hour we're living in the only way we're going to survive is if we're still a people of worship but also there's a life of witnessing God did not call us to be on this earth to do nothing he gave us an assignment to do while he was gone in fact in Matthew Jesus is getting ready to ascend, and he's headed back to heaven. The disciples are standing around him at the Mount Olives, Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet, Mount Olives. Right before Jesus is teleported from their sight, from earth to glory, he gives them one final instruction. Go ye therefore to all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you. Make witnesses. In Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of what Jesus is saying is, go, Brother James, tell everybody you can about what you know about me. Tell them about me. Show them me. Live it. Live my life in front of them. Let them know about me. Until I come back again, you go find everybody else and tell them about me. Baptize them. Teach them. Disciple them. Instruct them. So that one day, when I come back, they'll go with me this time too. That was his command. He did not leave them on earth to just hang out. He left them here on assignment. We're commissioned. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our job every day, whether it's at Walmart, whether it's 
you know, at a, at a job site, school, or a vocation, or whatever it may be. Every day we should be looking, God, put people in my pathway that I can show them you. Whether I ever verbally say to them, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Let me live, Lord, if nothing else, in a way that they'd want to know more about you. Let me be a witness, a living, breathing, walking testimony of who you are before mankind. I always pick with Brantley. I know he's not here, uh, but I always pick with Brantley. Brantley and I have this thing. Well, Brantley does it all the time. He's been taught this or learned this from somewhere, but every time Brantley sees you, he comes up and he'll shake your hand. He said, you want to hear about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the full pardoning of your sins? One Sunday I said, I would like to hear about that. Tell me more about it. And he kind of just stood there for a second, stunned. Then he said, aren't you the preacher? I said, I am. He said, don't you already know? I said, I technically do. I do. I said, but there may not be. Just because somebody is the preacher doesn't mean they always know. And sometimes even preachers need reminding. So just because people say they may know, they may not know. And kind of laugh with him. I said, so you tell people anyway, even if they say they know, just double check. Because sometimes they may think they know, but they don't really know. Because there are some people that profess to be Christians. They ain't Christians after all. There are some people that try to put the banner of Christianity, but they don't have the fruit to match the banner. There are some people that are in leaderships that are, that are leading churches that most people say, well, that's a pastor. Surely they know. But you'd be surprised. Not everybody that stands behind sacred lecterns are consecrated to God. Hello. You have to be a life of witness. Miss Carol, as you make your way. But then I started thinking in closing this. Not only do I have to have a life of prayer and live a life of holiness and a life of worship and a life of witnessing, but I also have to live with expectation. I have to live, Sister Beulah, with the idea, if God said it, then he'll do it. That's called expectation. It's not that I expect God to give me a handout for free. No, no. I'm not talking about God's just giving me free handouts. I'm talking about I have to live with an expectation. If God said it was coming to pass, I'm going to hold him to it. Because that's his promise. If God said train up a child in the way they should go so when they grow old they won't depart from it. God, I'm going to train up my child in the way they should go so when they grow old they can't depart from it. I'm going to hold you to it, God. If God said... There's coming a day when I will be able to flee from this life of sin and immorality and pain and struggle. If, if God said one day there's a place called heaven where all this is going to cease and desist and I'm going to live in a... I'm holding you to that, God. Because there's got to be better than this down here. If God, if your word said you go to prepare mansions for us and you go to make rooms for us and mansions to prepare so that when you come again you can receive us. You say, God, I'm holding you to it. It better look real good. It better pass. I know it's going to pass codes and zones, but Lord, I want it to look better than those houses at Pebble Beach that Brianna and, saw, Brianna and I saw in California. If those are things that are going for three quarters of a million dollars, some of them going for seven million dollars. Brother James, if, if people on this side of heaven are having seven million dollars home, I expect mine to at least be over seven million. God, if you said that there are streets paved with gold, God, I've been driving Berkeley County roads for four years, and I've had to get three alignments and four new tires. I expect there to be real good streets when I get there. Paid a lot down here to keep going. God, if you said there are jasper walls, praise the Lord, I'm holding you to it. I'm tired of painting walls. I want walls that just naturally look good. If you said there's a gate of pearl, one solid pearl that's huge that makes this 
gate. That's wonderful because I got about four different pieces of two by fours falling off my current gate. I can't even shut my gate at my house right now without three people, a crowbar, a jack, three oxen, a mule, and four other people to come across the street and pull it together just to get mulch in my backyard. God, I hope that gate works real well. Gates of pearl, I'm going to hold you to it. That is not completely a lie. My gate does have some problems. It does take a couple people to do it. Maybe not the mules and the ox, but there's about four people that have to move the gate. A level of expectation. See, the Bible tells us of all these promises God said. He gives us hope to look forward to. Titus 2, 11 through 13, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared in all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It may not be perfect here, but thank God it's going to be better over there. That's the expectation. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, I has not seen nor has ear heard, nor has entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. I, if I can't think it, I have a pretty vivid imagination. If my eyes can't see it and my mind can't comprehend it, then it's got to be pretty spectacular because I come up with some pretty crazy stuff. I've thought about how cool it would be to have self-driving cars, how cool it would be to, you know, you could just take a nap, your car could drive you yourself. I've come up with some pretty crazy stuff in my lifetime. I've, often, I've thought about creating a patent that every pew, if they can create cars that have heated seats, cooling and heated seats in your Buick, I believe they can do that with church pews too. Wouldn't that be a, that'd be a money maker? I would never have to worry about who likes it at 72 versus 82 because you could sit on 82 or be blown away at 72. Because I thought if they can do it in the cars, I could put heated seats in the pews and I could put the coolers. And then on the back of the pews, we could have little exhaust fans. And you could set your temperature and it would just blow right in front of you in your section. So it's just right in front of you. So that the person beside you can be in Antarctica and you can be in the Nairobi desert together in the same service and be happy. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I've often wondered how heaven's going to be climatized because ain't none of us down here like to get along the same temperature. Some like it hot, some like it cold, some like snow, some like shorts and t-shirt. I wonder, Brother James, if there's parts of heaven that are colder than others. I just wonder. See, that's my... If I can't see it, the Bible says if I, your eyes have not seen it, your, your mind can't cover it. If that's how I think, that heaven's got to be pretty awesome. I'm thinking about preconditions pews for people how it's going to work in heaven. Some of you in here, whether you admit it or not, you've got some pretty vivid imagination. Some of y'all in this room are praying to the good Lord that little Debbie actually made it to heaven and she helped supply the marriage supper of the Lamb. Some of y'all are hoping for dessert. It's not cake. It's raspberry choco gels on a platter in heaven. Or nutty buddy bars. Or pecan twirls. Or star crunches. Or Twinkies. I know one thing that won't be there is Pete's. I don't know who in the world thought Pete's was a good idea to create. But those are the nastiest things I've ever tasted in my life. Them marshmallow colored egg birds things. But my point is, some of y'all here have dreamed about living next to little Debbie and having cakes in heaven. That's vivid imaginations. 
Some of y'all have some pretty high thoughts. I thought about, I wonder if God has sporting arenas in heaven. I like sports. Heaven would be awesome with sports. I've never been, I'm a, I'm a white man. I've never been able to dunk a basketball without a trampoline or assistance. I would love when I get to heaven that I can dunk a basketball and nobody can block it because I can float. See, that's vivid. My point in saying all this, as I come to a close kind of comically, my point in saying all that is this. There are things about God we'll never comprehend or understand this side of heaven. But I'm like John the Revelator. He said, I tried to put it into words, but I really can't even put into words what I just saw. I'll try to give you the best picture in Revelation. He said, I'm trying to give you the best picture, but in John, he said, the scrolls wouldn't contain all the information about Jesus. And when he wrote about about, about uh, the, the heavenlies and the new Jerusalem and the heavens that he saw and all of the different uh, structures, the prism of colors that flowed from the throne room and the angels and everything. At the end of Revelation, he basically says, I, I tried my best, but I can't really tell you. I, I, I can't explain it in detail quite like it is. You just got to see it. Man. So if we're going to, how shall we live? If we're going to live people live with a life of prayer, a life of holiness, and a life of witnessing, and a, and a life of worship, we also got to live with the life that we can have that expectation. If God said that He's going to save people, He still will save people. If God's going to Spirit-filled baptize people, He still will Spirit-baptize people. If God's going to have a great outpouring of Joel 2, 28, 29 generation, He's still going to do it. If God promises that He has a church that's supposed to be at 1211 North Highway 52, whether it's today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, whether we build it on the property, whether we stay here, whatever it is, but if God designed for us to stay here for the last 30 years, then we have to believe God's going to let us stay here for the next 30 years. If God put us here, then He's not going to leave us here by ourselves. That's expectations. How do you live? You live a life of expectation. I said when we nailed those things to the cross two weeks ago, the last three things Jesus said, the last three words Jesus ever said, it is finished. Basically, I did it. It's done. I did it. Those wayward sons and daughters, those marriages, those, those, those health concerns, I did it. I did it. I nailed it to the cross. It's finished. I did it. I don't know what things God's going to allow to be rectified on this side of heaven and what things God's going to allow to be only taken care of on the other side of heaven. But I do know this. The Bible says, He who begins a good work is faithful to complete that work. So if God started us on this journey, God can see us through this journey. If God birthed this church in 1993, 2023, we're still here. That means in 2043 and 53 and 63, the Lord tarries. Some of you may never see 2043, 53, or 63. But if the Lord lets me live long enough to live that long, I still believe God can still have this church here. Maybe it's up front. Maybe it's on another piece of property. Maybe it's an adjacent property. Maybe we have to relocate over time. Who knows? But I believe if he started it, he'll help us see it to the end. That's expectation. My challenge to you today is this. Don't live your life with what I call meager or little expectations. Dream big. Think big. You know, right now, it's probably hard to see a 
400 seat sanctuary or a 300 seat sanctuary full to capacity on Sunday morning right over here. Maybe you think that's crazy. We just spent thousands of dollars just to be able to make the plumbing work. We certainly can't build a 400 seat Ephesus for people to worship together. Well, you know what? With thoughts like that, we won't. We never will. I'm not saying be arrogant. I'm saying, God, if that's what you want us to do, we believe you can make it happen. I don't know how or when, but you make it happen. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but four years ago, how many of you would have believed, no, please don't raise your hand, but four years ago, how many of you would have believed that we'd go from 21 to 73 in service in four years? I mean, how many people would have thought that on July 2019 when I walked through the door? There's 21 people in the building, and we look at the finances, and we take a step of faith with full-time ministry, and there's 20-something people in the building. How many would have said, well, four years, Pastor, I think we'll have 70 people coming to our church. How many would have believed that? Probably not everybody, but we did. Here we are. How who would have thought? What will the next four years look like? If God increased us by 45 to 50 people in four years, that means in four more years there's going to be 125 people that go to church with us. If you do math, 50 more people at 75, we're going to be looking at about 125 people here. I don't know about y'all, that's going to get real tight in here. Like, we ain't gonna put them in here. You can't fit. Fire codes will shut me down. You can't fit 125 people in here. We'll be in two services and prayerfully building something because we can't fit. That's only four years down the road if God stays on the same track. I'm just gonna be honest with you and then I'm gonna pray. If if things continue to move the way they're moving right now and 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 the way the world the, the way the Lord is moving. Within the next year, we may have to think about what we're going to do. I'm not saying build. We may have to think about how we're going to redesign and repurpose seats and how we're going to go. Because if you start running 90, we're not going to fit in this building. You put 20 kids out there. We had 55-ish people in the sanctuary. You know these front pews are pointless. The only person going to sit here is Brother Randy. He's the only saved one in church. He only sits on the front row. Anybody else going to sit here? We know that. So really it's going to start here back. And even if I move these pews to the back, then nobody's going to sit on this one because that becomes the front one. So these are just for good looks. You put 15 more people in service this morning, there going to be some people sitting closer to people than they really feel comfortable. Because ain't nobody sitting up here with these 15 seats. It's true. The expectation can be, oh, I don't know if we can do that. Oh, Pastor, we just spent money on the set thing. We did that. I don't, I don't know. No, the expectation is, okay, God, if in the next year we got to redesign, repurpose, reshuffle, we'll do it because if you keep sending them, we'll build a place for them to come. I'm like the guy, I'm like Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Lord, if you send them, we'll keep building. We'll send them. Expectations. I never thought I would see a day, Ms. Ann, where 21, 23, Senior adults would gather together around a table and eat together in this church. When I first came here, the 23 people that were here were seniors, except for like five people. That was the whole church. If I'd have had senior, if I'd have had Pillars Ministry in 2019, that would have been the whole church except me, Brandon, and Tana. <laughs> That's about it. The rest of us could all came to senior. We'd just had a church dinner, not Pillars. We'd had a church dinner. Now I can't invite the whole church because they're not all Pillars. Some of them aren't Pillars. Some of them are just bricks. They're not even a whole pillar. They're just mortar. We haven't had multiple Sunday school classrooms. Back then, we had one. 
Now we got to find places to put people because we don't know where to go. We got 15 children. We got to decide how to break them apart because children's ministry departments losing their hair by an alarming rate of speed and Rogaine can't keep it connected fast enough because all these children. We got to figure out where to put them. That's a good problem to have, but who'd have thought four years ago we're going to be trying to figure out where to put kids' ministry in this place? We didn't even hardly have kids to worry about back then. It's the expectations. So now what? It's the expectation now. I'll tell you what mine is. I don't want to get complacent. I'm not here to build my kingdom. I could care less. I was talking to a pastor this week. He was trying to convince me to come work for him. And uh, he has a large church. He was trying to give me a job. He heard about what I was doing here. And he said, man, I could really use you. And I said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. We were just talking. We were talking about just the different things in our church. I started thinking. You know, I've told you before, I'm not trying to be what every other church here in town is being. That's, everybody has to have their own identity. But I don't want to get complacent. Last Sunday we had visitors. Sunday before that we had visitors. Sunday before that we had visitors. We always seem to have a revolving door. Some we retain, some kind of hit or miss. But I mean, of the 15 people that were out today, they were people that belonged to us. Brett Vanessa Sawyer, Jordy Roselle, the Harley, people that come to church. It's like fluffy. These people that normally try to come. You brought those 15 people here today and you had 90 people here, we were going to be in trouble. We are going to have to run the air conditioning a little bit lower than normal. But that's not that far away because we know exactly that those people are out there. They come here. We know they're there. It's not like we only saw them once and we're hoping they come back. They're there. So my expectation is, okay, God, I don't know what the next step is on this journey. We're going to need your help doing it. But don't ever let us to the point that we cap what you're wanting to do because we're unwilling to go places we've never been before. Building is scary. Renovations are scary. Spending money is scary. But I don't want God to think that the leadership of the church I don't want us to cap him because we're afraid of uncharted waters that we've never been in before. I don't want us to hinder or damper our expectations because we're afraid to go over yonder. We've never been before. But sometimes over there, over yonder, we've never been, but it's something we would we would miss out if we don't go. If you talk to people like Brother Art, he probably would have told you in 1990, he didn't think he would be church planning in 1993 and he probably would have told you that he wouldn't have expected the church to be here this long or this, because things progressed over time I don't want us to get to a point of complacency I want us to keep having the expectation of God you brought us here that you'll take us there or you'll take us over yonder I don't know what your, what your heart's desire is but when I pray I want you to search your heart and I want you to answer the question how shall I live I want you to live with an expectation that God's got more than what we have right now. He's got more for your life, more for your family, more for your kids. He wants to see your kids saved, your grandkids saved. He wants to see it. But do you, what do you want? It's not a lack of God's ability. Most of the time, it's a lack of faith on my part. Let's pray. Father, I don't know where you want us to go from here. Lord, I have ambitions and dreams and things that I would love to see one day. 
And if that's your design and sovereign will, then so be it. If not, then God, you direct the path. How shall I live in these last days? Lord, I want to live a life, Lord, that is pleasing unto you. Lord, I want to be someone that is seasoned with prayer. Someone who will walk holy and blameless before you. Someone who will worship you. Someone who will be a witness about you. Someone who will, Lord, live with a life of expectations and expectancy rather than complacency. So, Father, there are men and women under the sound of my voice today, online, as well as in-house. God, they're sitting in these pews or watching on their live stream feed. Father, they are in their own way have things that they would like or that they'd like to see. God, maybe even some level of expectations on their behalf. So, Father, today I ask that you'd speak to their hearts and you would help them have the faith to see the unknown from here to yonder, from A to B, the promised land that we may not see yet but that you have out there for us. Father, as we get ready to leave this place, I pray that you'd bless us and keep us. The face of Almighty God would shine upon us and you'd be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Father, may the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our eternal strength and redeemer. God, until you bring us back at the next appointed time to worship together, I ask that you would go with every man, woman, boy, or girl on the sound of my voice or watching online. You go with them to bring us back safely to worship together. And all of this we commit to the loving arms of Christ Jesus, our Lord. The body of Christ together said amen. amen. Before I have Brother Randy pray our benedictory prayer, a couple, just two things. One, uh, don't forget Wednesday night Bible study, 7 p.m. We'll continue our series on who are we going through the declarations of faith of our church teachings in the fellowship hall. Next Sunday morning, uh, we will take up a special offering for the Home for Children. The Home for Children Easter, they call it the Easter offering, or the springtime offering, but even though it's after Easter, it's this time of the year. We'll take up our regular tithes and offerings, but at the end of service, the ushers will be in the back door like we do, and we take up special offerings. If you'd like to give to that, please do so. It helps support our, our, our Home for Children, our orphanage uh, up in, in Malden, and, and it helps support those kids. And They take them to Church of God churches and camp meetings and camps and, and we pour into them so when you give you're, you're sowing in good ground and, and fertile soil and so we're going to take up a special offering so that we can send it it's not about getting trophies or accolades or any of that but I would like for us to send a good offering there so that we can invest in kingdom work I am a firm believer you can't outgive God from 2019 to 2023 our giving percentage has went up 292% if you do percentage don't tell me God can't provide for us if he needs to. He can make a way, so we're going to be okay. So let's pray about it this week. Ask God to kind of lay on your heart something to give if you're physically able to do so about blessing these children in Malden. And we'll send one big check, just run it through the church so you can get the credit for it and put it in a tithing envelope, just write home for children on it or whatever. And then uh, Easter offering, and then Sister Carol will send one big check from the church to the home for children. I'm going to ask Brother Randy if he'll come. He'll lead us in prayer. I'm going to have you stand all over the house as he prays.
As soon as he finishes praying, be free. Uh, consider yourself free to be dismissed. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday night. Brother Andy.